0: Hey everyone, Joe here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm glad you're stopping by, checking out today's episode. You know, when Matthew and I are out in the Boundary Waters, we're never taken aback anymore. We perhaps used to be, but no longer when it comes to people who know our sponsors here on the podcast. In fact, this winter, we were out ice fishing and bumped into somebody who had a a direct connection to today's sponsor, of the episode, one of our sponsors, North Star Canoes.
1: Hello, my name's Kurt. I'm out in the Boundary Waters here today doing some ice fishing. It's March, and I'm looking at all the portages and thinking about being able to take my North Star Canoe out and uh, use these portages in the summer. So it's a very different experience. I love my boat. Bought it last year. and It's a retirement gift to myself, so I'm ready to get it out, and it's all hanging up I'm ready to go it's a, a 17 foot uh, kevlar about 42 pounds nice for me because i'm getting tired of carrying heavy canoes and it's a tandem north wind and i got uh, several trips lined up already i try to come up i have four boys and i always try to take one of them up so that's my my plan for the summer and i'm proud to support north star canoes and of course this podcast thanks
0: I've seen somebody pull in a 20-inch walleye while a bull moose is staring at them before, but I've never had the pleasure to experience it myself until today.
2: You are kidding me. Check this out. You pulled in a walleye while the moose stared at you. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just came off a uh, brutal portage. (laughs) Joe stayed behind just to do some last minute fishing. I, I had no idea what he was going to get into, I thought he was just kind of tootling around out here.
0: What do you see before you?
2: What I see before me is is something magical. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, five more beautiful
0: walleyes right there,
2: good eaters, and then one just Monster 20. That's gotta be 21, huh?
0: I think so, and uh
2: and that's the one you caught while a moose while the was. While a moose
0: was staring at me for sure. Oh shore. my goodness. Bull moose. Velvet and uh then I came back and jumped in the lake. Man, what a magical spot. Quite a day in the boundary waters.
3: Woo.
1: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids, you know. Our first wilderness
4: camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast. Then you can relax, you can go
2: paddling, you can go hiking.
3: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there before.
2: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time.
4: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with
1: only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh and in the deep dark blue
4: Welcome to episode 30 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm on the phone with your host, Joe Fredericks.
0: And I'm on the phone with your host, Matthew Baxley. Joe,
4: walleye, (laughs) moose on the water. I mean, this sounds incredible. Socially distanced canoeing?
0: (laughs) It it had it all. Uh, It had it all, yes. So as you heard there at the top, you know, been out in the woods a little bit. It's such a... Well, we heard, first of all, Matthew, in our last episode, episode 29, that you and I kind of imbibed on this element of social distancing in the Boundary Waters. That was a theme of where we were doing uh, the recording, and and as you're referencing here, we're still on the phone, so we're still doing things a little bit differently as far as the format of the podcast, but we wanted to take that. uh, We hear again from from Kevin, the K-Man Kramer, who we've heard from on the podcast before. Uh, he comes back for another trip to the woods, and and we wanted to really expand on this notion of social distancing in the Boundary Waters amid the COVID pandemic, which is still here on the June episode 2020, certainly. This is uh, still a completely relevant discussion and, and how we're... Uh, you know going about our lives and that includes uh wilderness canoe country travel and and say, you know what let's let's take this from the approach of two solo trips separate for all intents and purposes, and other than they happen to be going through the same entry point and ultimately the same lake uh and you know we narrow it down at the end toward the same campsite but but we incorporate all of that into how can you socially distance and do this amid COVID and still get in and have a good trip. So, so we went for it.
4: So it's all about, you know, being creative, adapting to, uh, to keep the the safety elements incorporated in the trip. And Joe, you know, what I love about the K-Man. Mm. I mean, he is just so excited to get into the boundary waters and, and it's so obvious in who he is. And I'd like to propose an amendment. We can vote on this later that we call him K Man the Joyful Paddler. <laughs> because he is just so I mean, I love his attitude around just getting out there.
0: Yeah. He he we've talked to uh who was it, the barefoot paddler that you've talked to before? I think was his? indeed, yep. and, and now we've got k man the joyful paddler, uh, yes, that's we will run it by him and see what his thoughts are
4: huh? <laughs> yeah, i and I you know if anybody remembers the uh hardships that the two of you endured on the last uh episode that he joined us on the podcast, he maintained that positive attitude throughout, and i'm just i'm I'm really excited to hear all the details of of your last endeavor.
1: Yeah,
0: and I should point out, Matthew, you know, we talk about this idea of, you know, how to travel in the Boundary Waters amid the COVID pandemic and this approach that we took of of having the luxury of access to solo canoes and the means of of accomplishing this, but that it doesn't have to be, we're not necessarily setting out to say this is the right way to do it. We just wanted to uh, see if this was a feasible approach, Uh, you know, two people on one permit, solo canoes, basically separate trips other than, you know, we we shared a campsite. Uh, You know, we brought our own cook kits, we brought our own uh, hammocks, we brought everything you know if he wasn't there the trip for me would have been the same amount of gear and the same amount of of work and so forth you know what i'm saying
4: yeah which is very different than if i were to go with the members of my household uh, which a lot of people are doing and you know we can share everything and not have to think about it you guys just really worked hard to set this up in a unique and pretty cool way
0: yeah yeah and and not as the template for this is the way it has to be done or should be done, just more of a, here's a way that it could be done if you were open to it and had the means to do so and so forth. So uh, then, that's, And who
4: doesn't love a solo trip, right, Joe?
0: Well, uh, we're going to find out more about that. Uh, <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that kind of transitions actually into uh, the second part of our episode. You've got an interview, Matthew, with a fellow podcaster from Minnesota here, and it's it's a heavy topic, but a very important topic. Uh conversation the two of you had uh Mickey is her name and it's timely, it's relevant and it's it's a very powerful conversation that we hear later in the episode today.
4: Yeah, man, I'm really excited to share that with everyone, especially from uh, you know, every once in a while we get to have folks on the podcast that are known even beyond our paddle community people who are known in a lot um larger spheres and so it's a powerful conversation and i'm excited to get to it but before we do let's hear more walleye and moose man
0: (laughs) yeah we'll pick it up uh right at our campsite here with uh with the k-man out in the boundary waters Out here on a sunny day, out here in the Boundary Waters, there's a few clouds hanging around still. Out here with Kevin, the K-Man Kramer, once again. K-Man's cleaning up the shore lunch that we just prepared. Thank you, good Woo-hoo. sir. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Walleye. The uh, fishing has been extraordinary so far. I, I give it an A. A to A plus, A probably, I don't know. Where are you at on the...
2: A plus, man.
0: A plus, okay. Uh, We are at a remote lake here in the Boundary Waters today. This is off the beaten path. Took some work to get in here and kind of had to forge our own way. And the effort was well worth it. Well worth it. Uh, we've had some rain we've had strong wind we've had some we're, we're doing the solo paddle as, uh, as we talked about there at the intro so it's two different trips happening basically at once. We've got two solo canoes, two cook kits, two you two hammocks hanging you name it we got two of everything going on uh, k-man's over there six feet away as he has been the whole trip and you know really here's one observation that I've had came in in addition to the extraordinary fishing that we've had Mm -hmm. is it's actually been pretty easy to follow the social distancing that we set out to you know kind of had an idea of okay we want to frame this around we're still you know in the midst of COVID and there's a lot to think about here on our trips and it's just sort of naturally happened that we have been staying far apart from each other or six feet at least
2: it's actually it's actually worked out pretty well because we've talked about doing these dueling solo trips together f- for years, but it always just seemed kind of easier to hop in one canoe and share a cook kit and share packs and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it just kind of fell into place because we both just kind of wanted a a long weekend with something to do, and uh, you had a lake in mind, off the beaten. T- <laughs> path and uh that's right up my alley and i'm like you know i'm coming it's kind of a last minute trip that we threw together
0: yeah and, and it's, it's hasn't been without its challenges i mean i'm feeling pretty pretty spent but good at the same time yeah
2: it was a lot of work getting in here but if you want to find solitude in the boundary waters you, you're gonna to have to kind of pour over the maps and and find that lake that's off the loop off the beaten beaten path. And.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and especially here at the start of the season. I mean, so June now, uh, this is the June episode, but it's the last couple days of May here. I think this is the last day of May, or tomorrow's the last day of May. Uh, so it has been open for overnight use only since the 18th uh, in the Boundary Waters this season. It's only, you know, less than two weeks at this point, and there have been a lot of people... Booking yeah. permits.
2: I think the reason for that is you know the the Canadian border is closed and it's probably going to be closed indefinitely. Uh, so Quetico is closed. No one can get up to Wabakimi or Woodland Caribou. So I think a lot of those folks are looking for Plan B or Plan C. And uh, I've been talking to some of the outfitters, and a lot of the a lot of the permits are taken. And it's uh, slim pickings to find a permit right now. Yeah. So
0: exactly, which is all the more reason we wanted to go beyond some kind of a casual weekend and really get in, uh, you know, deep and and get away from it. And certainly we've accomplished that. Uh, then on top of it, to have this kind of fishing action that we've had. I mean, here we are on our... We've only been out now for 24 hours probably, Yeah. give or take, as far as here established at our camp and made a post and where we could actually be fishing. And we're already up into the 70 walleye territory getting into that certainly. and they're
2: nice ones too yeah. <laughs> a lot of times when you catch you know the the ta- people what fishermen oftentimes say is you know you'll either catch quantities or quality but not both and i don't know somehow we stumbled into both on this trip because they're all nice wallets all of them
0: yeah they have been and, and in addition uh first you know last year in the Summertime June, I think it was the June episode 2019. We set out to do some topwater fishing and we were going fly rod only on that. And so, you you, we've got the equipment to do you know fly fishing trips. Mm -hmm. And this time, we brought both, Uh we brought our our fly rods along to I don't know just to mix it up a little bit, if nothing else. And they have also been working, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm yet to land one Uh a walleye on a fly rod, but. I've had three bites, missed two, and uh, had one almost all the way to the boat, and uh, and it got off. But I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna <laughs> get it in the boat today. That's our mission this afternoon. Uh, we're gonna troll the the clouser minnow. Exactly. So yeah, we're... the fly rod and uh, and see what happens.
0: That's the plan. We're gonna head head back out. We're taking a break here to do some recording talk about the the solo canoe aspect how it's been going and then we're going to head back out and troll with our fly rods because we're already kind of at the spot where we don't need to i mean we're running low on leeches a little bit so we want to conserve those and we've we've kind of gone through that wave of the anxiety of making sure you catch enough fish on a trip yeah you don't
2: want to go home skunked so you uh you got to make sure you get you you get a few fish in the boat before you start experimenting with other things.
0: Yeah, so we're we're down. We're on the downward trajectory of are we going to catch enough fish? I mean, we've already surpassed any expectation I had out here. So, so that's been nice. And another element of where we are, I think, it's just worth saying and addressing, kind of the elephant here in the room. In addition to COVID, we've had uh, we left the state of Minnesota at a time that it's very challenging uh in in Minneapolis and St. Paul mm-hmm. and elsewhere too with the riots and the, the violence and the the homicide that occurred on Memorial Day involving police officers and it's it's been uh we left at a time where things were very uncertain mm-hmm. and, and there was just a lot of it was a hard. It was almost in one sense hard to leave because you know family and friends and there's you, people we you know. You want to stay middle.
2: glued to the TV and see uh, what's happening with uh, with the rioting and looting and things. But and in another sense, it, it, in my opinion, it's and I think everyone kind of needs this is just to kind of get out, get out of that mode of following the news, being glued to the TV and following the COVID and following the riots and the looting and i think people need that escape from from that and uh, what a perfect place to do it right here in the boundary waters of minnesota
0: yeah we've you know in addition to just the beautiful scenery i mean look at this look what we're looking at here we got this whole
2: lake to ourselves (laughs) and this is a big lake this isn't some uh little swampy moose pond out in the middle of the forest somewhere this is a pretty large lake
0: it is and it's just the trees are fresh in bloom it's just a beautiful shade of green there's some pine mixed in for contour and contrast and we got a big birch growing here at camp there's wolf scat down by the latrine trail it's a pretty wild and we have not I mean, a lot of moose tracks too we've seen we, a, lot of moose. a lot of moose tracks we and,
2: saw a bear on the way in we here saw too. A bear,
0: <laughs> yeah, and we've we've worked hard to get in here so the the wear of the physical exhaustion Has surpassed that of the mental exhaustion of what happens when we're in the city or Grammaray, in my case, which you know, not necessarily a city, but uh, where we're access to have access to the internet and so forth. So, uh, out here, just a whole different type of feeling of exhaustion going on, Mm -hmm. not so much mental fatigue, it's physical, and it's really nice to be out here. This is a trip I think already I'm realizing. I'm gonna look back on and be like that was an awesome once in a
2: while you just stumble into a special trip I mean you set out on these trips you never know what it's gonna turn out to be you know things happen and uh, and it it, it, all your plans kind of get put by the wayside and 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 sometimes trips don't turn out the way you plan but Mm -hmm. but but this one did
0: And and so our podcast isn't necessarily all about fishing. I mean, it's a topic that comes up certainly uh, quite often, actually. And But uh, I do want to describe a little bit about how we've been fishing here today. It's, as I said, entering into June. Uh, we've got jigs. I've got an orange jig. You've got chartreuse yep. under slip bobbers. Leech. And a leech on the jig. It's literally as simple as that. You, you use the slip to find the bottom. You raise it a foot or 18 inches. Mm-hmm. And you're solid. There's yeah. nothing more to it than that. Well, you and I have always done the slip bobber thing, but we
2: used to do just a plain hook mm-hmm. and then a foot up from that. We'd put a, a lead uh, sinker on there yeah. and, uh, and then the slip bobber above that. But we've kind of found that you know, you're casting that, that, uh, that sinker-hook combination and it oftentimes gets tangled up. And you can't find the bottom as easily. You don't know if the sinkers are you don't on. know if the sinkers pulling your slip bobber down or if it's the 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 uh, the hook that's sitting on the bottom. And mm-hmm. so with a jig, you know exactly where that bottom is,
0: and uh, so it, it just makes it a little easier, I think. So and it adds the color, and you know you maybe know. the leech swims a different way, but whatever it is, it's working. And then with the fly rod set up, we have very basic. I mean, we're you know essentially set up for top water either trout or or smallmouth fishing you know we have floating line in other words and we're still using the weight of the clouser which is a a jig head with some sparkly you know feathers feather type stuff yeah. behind it yeah and uh and just trolling that behind the canoe maybe 20 feet slow paddle and so not any type of a you know above and beyond type process leeches on jigs under a slip bobber and trolling claws or minnows and it has been just unbelievable this Mm -hmm. is we've had two fish big fish fries already we're just living it up uh the the plan is to go out and and just lollygag through the rest of the afternoon Mm -hmm. pick out a few more come back have have some more dinner and then fish right here from camp yeah, slip bobbers
2: uh, right from our camp. We can have a campfire going and uh, and watch our slip bobber right from camp. Um, we'll hit it a little bit tonight, but I think tomorrow morning we'll hit it hard again, and and maybe uh, and maybe pack up a few walleyes to take home to put in the freezer. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely the plan, and I think that uh, you know the whole idea of coming out here with two different canoes uh, has you know paddling a solo is probably not. For necessarily your first trip ever mm-hmm. to the Boundary Waters, because they're they're harder to paddle. I mean, we found out yesterday. Uh, you've got a solo Kevlar mm-hmm. that you uh, picked up in Tofty, and it's uh, it can be harder to turn into the wind. Yeah, and it was windy. We had to cross a big lake to get here, and and it it was not without its challenges.
2: Right. Yeah, paddling across uh across a, a large lake when it's windy in a solo canoe can be uh it can be it can get pretty hairy pretty quick. Uh I think the the takeaway uh from our our trip in here was to stay close to shore, you know, in case in case a gust of wind comes or mm-hmm. you know, if you get sideways in that solo canoe, it's hard to straighten it back out and get it pointed into the wind. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think being close to shore uh is key. With uh, with a solo canoe, even if
0: you have to go backtrack and go out of the way, and we did stay. we did that a little mm-hmm. bit. Yep. So for people listening, wondering, okay, well, they're talking about you know they did these solo trips that happen to kind of end up at the same spot. That's the theme we got going here. Uh, but I'm not in a position where I can do that necessarily because either I don't have a solo or I'm not comfortable renting one because I don't have the experience in a solo canoe. I'm thinking that you know if you're if you did want to try it out, maybe just an easier entry point is is a way to go mm-hmm. uh something smaller, lakes. smaller lake smaller
2: lake maybe a river a river system or a smaller lake or a a series of a couple smaller lakes. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't recommend someone hit the the uh larger bodies of water Mm -hmm. the first time on a solo for sure
0: but you've been a big proponent of solo canoeing for i've been on many solo trips
2: Mm -hmm. uh up and up throughout the boundary waters over the years yeah Um, but uh you know i i had sold i had uh, done a, a solo canoe before i went actually to uh uh, to the Midwest Mountaineering Expo down in the Twin Cities, they have a paddle day, a uh, day or two before the expo starts. And, and I just went out and tried a couple uh, solo canoes down there mm-hmm. and, uh, and got a feel for it before I headed out into the, into the wilderness with it. And, you know, I mean, I had paddled tandem canoes my whole life, but, but uh, a solo canoe is a little bit different, but it's something that anybody can handle if they just, uh, you know, if they just take it slow.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the idea of being, well, I can't go on a canoe trip this summer because my friends from outside the area aren't going to go or we just feel we shouldn't go for social distancing reasons and, you know, things like that, that it is maybe a good season. Good opportunity to try it. It's a good, opportunity, it's to a, it, it's a good opportunity to try it, yeah. But but uh, if you're taking away one piece of advice from uh, Kevin and I's experience here this trip we're doing is that Stick to smaller bodies of water if it's your first time in a solo canoe, because that that paddle yesterday was not for the faint of heart, but my goodness, has it been worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So if you are experienced in a solo canoe, maybe this is your summer to push it a little further than you yeah. have. I would say if
2: you've got a trip planned with your friends and maybe some of your, your buddies uh, are worried about the social distancing aspect of it, you know, give it a try. Mm uh you know just get a get a few solo canoes together and uh, everybody can kind of do their own thing and and stay separated but uh, yet still meet up and camp you know and uh and and social distance around the campfire or something you know you can still do the trip um you just got to take some precautions and i I think a solo canoe uh dueling solos is what we've been calling it you Mm -hmm. know but uh um, I, I think it's a good opportunity for someone to to give it a try. If a group was thinking about going, uh, but our second guessing, um, you know, the plans because of the COVID thing, mm-hmm. you know, look into it.
0: Yeah, definitely, because it's just been more natural than even having to think much about it. There's so much room here at camp. It's spread out uh, at the landing. You get there. For, I mean, because it, it makes sense that only one person's going to get out the landing anyway. So you get there first or whoever ends up there first. I guess it just last time is what I'm thinking of it when it was you. And I just waited at the landing as though you were another group, mm-hmm. you know, back here to get at camp and you cleared the space and up I came.
2: It's been kind of fun fishing too in a solo canoes. Uh, you know, we kind of go our separate ways sometimes. You can uh, kind of troll that shoreline. I can troll this shoreline and one of us cover kind of cover more ground that way. And when one of us finds a hot spot. You know, we can kind of hey, come on over here. I found the honey hole. You know, yeah. And uh, so I think it, it has a lot of benefits. You know, mm-hmm. um, especially with this social distancing and stuff now too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, speaking of, of the honey hole, that was a magical walleye spot that we stumbled upon earlier today. I think we caught what was it, twenty six fish out of one out spot. of one area.
2: Maybe this. Maybe five foot diameter hole, (laughs) I've never seen that many good walleyes come out of a hole that small.
0: All between 15 and 20 inches, Mm -hmm. 15 and 19 maybe. Yeah,
2: We're still trying to figure out what's down there that makes these walleyes congregate in that one spot, but for whatever reason, they do.
0: So we're having a blast. Uh, we know that it's a, t- a tough time. You know we're going to be heading back to the world tomorrow and society, and we're probably going to be, you know, taken aback by some of the news. But uh, for where we're at here today, it's just been a marvelous day, and I'm so grateful to be out here. And uh, on that note, I say we get back in the canoes here and do some more fishing.
2: Let's go find some walleyes.
0: Wow,
4: Joe, that sounds like an amazing trip.
0: It was. It was, you know, you mentioned at the time, Matthew, solo canoeing, and you and I have talked about it quite a bit. Uh, it brings each of us a, a, a certain rewarding experience. It's, it's different, obviously, than going with a group or even just another person when you're out there you've talked about you know what you see particularly when you're by yourself in the woods is you bring that reflection aspect of you know you are what you bring to the wilderness is going to be a reflection of of your trip and you'd say it much more eloquently than that in a previous episode, but that when you're out solo it's a it's a much different experience even psychologically than than a group trip to the b dub and and so you know with that in mind, uh, Matthew, I wanted to talk about. Uh, the the fact that you know we were we were fortunate to be able to go on that canoe trip it was a challenging time. You know the K man and I talked about uh, leaving uh, in the days after uh, the death of George Floyd and how that you know impacted our trip. Then there was COVID. There was it was a hard time to leave um, work and and home and loved ones just because of, of what was happening in the world. And so we wanted to to just talk about that a little bit more or bring in some other elements of that greater conversation. Uh, and that's, that's what you did, Matthew.
4: Well, I did. And before we jump into that, I just want to completely agree with you. I mean, one thing that's so cool about listening to the trip that you had is the ease at which you were able to pull it together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, I mean, I was a part of the planning process and you guys, were, you you have, especially you, Joe, but I think K-Man too, like he's got his hammock set up. He's got that whole process locked in. You've got your processes locked in. I mean, you don't even have to really think twice about, about putting your gear together, getting your stuff together and getting out there. And I think that really shows in your trip. I mean, you guys were just able to bomb into this amazing place and have the time of your life and not think twice. And I think that's a really inspirational thing and something for us to think about.
0: It does, Matthew, and your conversation that we're going to hear in just a few minutes here on the podcast is a very important one at this time, and it uh, also links into a message that one of our sponsors here on the podcast wanted to share today. Uh, This is from the Ely Outfitting Company.
3: The murder of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police is heartbreaking and infuriating. In the face of these continued gross injustices, we must address the underlying systemic racism that penetrates our local and national spaces, both indoors and outdoors. I'm Jason, the owner of Ely Outfitting Company here on the edge of the Boundary Waters. I support the movements fighting for justice in a world dominated by inequality. I understand that as an individual and business owner, I have a responsibility to create change. I believe that the wilderness can be a great equalizer, but I appreciate This has not been the case. People of color have not been able to experience the Boundary Waters in the way so many people know and love it. I want to improve that dynamic and make our wilderness experiences available to all audiences. I'm listening, I'm still learning, and I'm doing my best to figure out how I can improve the disparities that exist today.
0: Thank you for that message. Jason here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. We'll now pick up with Matthew's conversation.
4: Joining us today on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast is Nikki, a.k.a. Tricky Nikki. Uh, you may know her as a international documentarian. Uh, some have called her a multimedia visionary. Uh <laughs> <laughs> <I love it. laughs> who? Who called me that? Well, I just did. I just did, Mickey.
5: <laughs>
4: Mickey, thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
5: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
4: For those uh for those listening who don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself in your own words?
5: Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Mickey, uh, as Tricky Mickey, and that is my DJ name. It's also the name that I kind of use semi-professionally for other things. I am a, a documentary filmmaker. I'm a producer for an ad agency and a lover of life and teller of tales.
4: Mm. And tales are what we tell here on this podcast.
5: <laughs> exactly. I also host a podcast myself. It's called The Black Helpline. So we have that in common.
4: Yes, and uh, I definitely want to loop it back around into that podcast, because uh, it sounds like, from what I've heard, uh, uh, listening to the podcast, you guys are doing great work. Um, and Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for putting your stuff out there, especially putting it out there for everyone to be able to, um, to access. And today, uh, Mickey, we're... As we do every month on the podcast, we're diving into topics of um, the boundary waters and the wilderness and um and what it's like to either be in the wilderness or or trying to access the wilderness um, so I want to just start by um asking you what is your experience with the with northern Minnesota in general with the Northwoods? um or wilderness spaces in general?
5: Well, I've certainly done my sh- my fair share of camping when I was a child. My dad used to take me up to Lutzen and Ely, and uh, I had friends who had a place on Lake of the Woods. So we'd go up there occasionally, but not as often as... I mean, I was I was far more, to be quite honest, far more interested in international travel than going up to the Northwoods or, or really checking out other portions of my own home state. So... Although I'm comfortable camping, I'm far more comfortable on some weird, foreign beach. <laughs>
4: mm. Yeah, you have a you have a, a wide scope for your uh, adventures. It sounds like.
5: Yeah, you know, gotta 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 get out there and see the world.
4: Which you've done quite a bit of and incorporated into your work. It sounds like.
5: I've tried, yes, absolutely. You know, it's a there's no better way to try to understand other people than to get out and actually be with other people.
4: Mm. Yeah, the the way that we live in relationship. Exactly. So it sounds like Mickey, you're you're you have this foundation um, from a fairly early age of, and and you grew up in Minneapolis, correct? Graduated from South High School. I went to South. I quit high school and I graduated from college. So so you grew up uh, in Minneapolis, yeah. And and in addition to that, you it sounds like you to your parents also had a foundational um, connection with um, getting out of the city and into some natural spaces. What was that like growing up um, with that, what I think a lot of people see as a contrasting experience? What was that like for you?
1: Well,
5: my I have family outside. I have family in Otter Tail County. And so my father grew up in Staples, Minnesota, and we would always spend our summers growing up either in... Small towns, you know, in the five-state area or in, on my aunt, my aunt and uncle's farm somewhere outside of Fergus Falls. I forget the town now. I can't even remember what the town is, but it's like 100 people. So mm. that would be where we would go. We'd spend a few weeks every summer just kind of on their huge lot milking cows and hanging out with the the dog and my aunt and uncle and, you know, riding on a tractor and things like that. And It was really very much a contrast for a child to do that versus being in the city all summer long. And then as I got older, I'd do, you know, two-week sleepaways with camp and all this other kind of stuff. But as I got older, I grew kind of out of it, and then, like I told you, I started traveling.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and directed your attention towards um, things that sounds like you, you continue to grow to be passionate about. Absolutely. Uh, so your travels took you... You had this foundation... Um, and I say foundation just because it sounds like those experiences are, are um, part of your um, coming of age in some ways. Um, whether you whether you um, like them or not, which I think a lot of us feel about, <laughs> when, if we got drugged into the woods at some point by some adult, um, it was either positive or negative <laughs> or often both,
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> depending on the adults.
5: <laughs> right. Right. Right.
4: So you you've seen a lot of places and you've done a lot of things and you're still in Minnesota and this is still home for you.
5: I don't know if I would go that far. Tell I me about away, it. Well, I moved away when I was oh, I? I was eighteen. I moved to New York City. Minneapolis was actually the smallest city I've ever lived in. So I moved away to New York when I was eighteen, and um, in subsequent years I've lived in Amsterdam, Manchester, England. Miami, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So I've had a good taste of the United States. Um, But having said that, I still do appreciate Minneapolis. I love Minneapolis in the summer. I think it's a beautiful place. And I came back here a few years ago to take care of my aging father. Mm. So that's what's brought me back here. Whether or not I will stay remains to be seen, but uh, for now, I'm I'm happy to be here.
4: I will say, um, from my personal experience, Nikki, I've lived... I spent time in San Francisco living there and um in Colorado and I was actually born in texas and um i'm i I personally love uh, Minnesota especially after going to other places and spending time um cultivating a sense of gratitude for what we have here right. um, and and for me, a lot of that has come from um my love for the wilderness. Of course, that's why I um host this podcast. And I th- and I think that, that that there is going back to this idea that um you know there can often even though the majority of the folks that listen to this podcast, the majority of the folks that listen are from the Minneapolis Saint Paul area. And um and there is a certain demographic demographic of folks that live in that metro area that um that live there in part because of the accessibility of northern Minnesota and the wilderness and the way that's a part of their lives and identity. Um in in this way I want to tap into this this element that I have at least gotten to be familiar with you on, which is this whole um this advocacy part of you for civil rights and social justice. And I'm wondering, I would love to kind of move into how that fits in with this conversation of urban and rural and wilderness and access. Where should we start with that?
5: Well, I think there first and foremost needs to be an understanding that these that these areas are for everyone. That mm-hmm. access should be for everyone, and everyone needs to understand. And if you can get up there, you can have access. Now, that brings me to the economic aspect of this. It's not cheap to go it's not cheap to go up north. You know, there's gasoline, you gotta have a car, that works, you gotta have the money to buy the food and if you're gonna camp you have to have the camping equipment or otherwise you gotta stay in a hotel and whatever the case may be. So if you're talking mm-hmm. about Minneapolis and you know people from the metro area going and enjoying their outdoor spaces Well, can you afford to do it? That's the first and foremost question. Can you afford to do it? Then the next question is, do you feel comfortable and safe doing it? Yes. Okay. Then the third question is, is everything accessible? Well, we've already answered that because, yeah, everything is accessible. But how come people don't know it's accessible? What can we do to educate people so that they know that this state is open, wide open for them to be able to get out there for all of us to be able to get out there and enjoy it.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, on a minimum afternoon, just to drive to Duluth, I'm looking at, without even food, I'm looking at about $30 to $40 in gasoline and whatever else. Okay, so well, fine. For me, I can afford that. $40 for some people is a lot of money. Right. So, you know, let's let's talk about the economic aspect of it, and then let's talk about the educational aspect. And by that, I mean knowing that
4: you have this access. Right. And I and the other piece that I definitely want to talk about is the feeling of safety, as well. Um, I think in the last couple of years, especially, the, there's been more... Some progress and more open dialogue in the um, outdoor industry around this topic. Um, but definitely in a way that the, that trends usually unfold, where they, they have a blip on the radar and then they can be forgotten. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the economics? Do you want to start with the access perceptions or the feelings of safety on what it's like, especially to be a person of color in a space that's dominated by people who don't look like you?
5: Well, I think they're all kind of interchangeable. Um, let's talk about safety. Yeah, please. First and foremost Stacy and the perception of this of the outdoor spaces being generally for privileged or at least well, privilege. It's a privilege to be able to get out with your family and go and explore the wilderness and camp and and have not only the money to be able to do that, but the money to be able to take the time off to do that. Mm -hmm. So then you go to a place where you're you definitely, as a person of color, know you're going to be surrounded by 99.99% white people. Okay, well, that's a little off-putting right then and there because traditionally, our experience, and this is going to be a very blanket statement for people of color, but traditionally, our experience with the majority of white people is either there's suspicion or there is, I mean, of course, there's always going to be decent people who treat you really well with the respect and the dignity we deserve, but then there's going to be those people who look at you suspiciously, who question you, who say something under their breath, who, who menace you in some way, shape, or form, even if it's not physical, you're going to be made to feel like you are not welcome. So why <laughs> on earth, after already having to deal with the economic factor, would you put yourself in a situation where you, right off the bat, are going to feel uncomfortable, and then you're going to spend a week or ten days or however long, a weekend even, in that situation, feeling really mm-hmm. lousy about your surroundings and scared a little bit. That's not anything that, that entices me, I'll tell you what. Right. Sure it wouldn't entice anybody.
4: Right, and especially when I think uh, about what happens, in, um, and I hope this goes along with what you're saying, but what happens in the brain when you're in a state of having to be on guard and that sort of hyper arousal um, that does, it's almost physiological. And physiologically impossible to relax if you're feeling that, um, if you're waiting for the threat to arise.
5: Yeah, how is that meditation?
4: Right. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound that that relaxing to me.
5: (laughs) No, not me either. So why would I pay to put myself in that situation? Pay good money that I may or may not have because I want to give my kids an outdoor experience. And I'll tell you what a lot of a lot of black people don't have that outdoor experience because of that, and so that goes down generations. I have a good friend who started camping a black male friend of mine who started camping at forty five He went for his first ever with a whole bunch of friends. He went camping for the first time at forty five with a group of other other male friends. He was the only black guy, so there's him and then five or six other white men Mhm and he really enjoyed himself but i think that because he had he had that support system with him he had a group of people who would stand up with him and who would be there for him and so that's you know that provided him his first ever experience and i think i think for him that was a great experience i can't imagine being 45 going out with my family for the first time ever camping and feeling good about it you know, I mean, I, I, I used to attend camp, as I told you, so I'm fairly well acquainted with being able to be outside. I mean, you know, I am a city dweller. I am a city camper, which means I'd have to have some amenities with me. But I can manage mm-hmm. new. I can fish. I can do things like that. I can build a fire and things like that. So it's not like I'm completely useless in the outdoors, but right. um, it's it's part and parcel of what do you know growing up? What have you experienced growing up? And going even further into it, if you've experienced a lot of, of uh, problems or or hatred or whatever the case may be from white people, why would you ever put yourself in a situation where you're going to be surrounded by white people?
4: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, especially without allies there, who, as you referenced your friend who had like this safety buffer around him, uh, that kind of... Can help mitigate some of that vulnerability. That that with there's this there's this tremendous vulnerability that feels like it happens there. And you know there has been, um, Nikki, a lot of research that has been done around the positive um, benefits of wilderness and what that does on the brain. And it really makes me wonder who that research is being conducted on, or with, and what populations. Because I don't hear that same type of an outcome being Flushed out as far as the benefits on um, on a nervous system that you're talking about, right, and I think that's poignant, and I think that's worth pointing out and And before we get into um, before we get into ways that we can move forward on some of these hard realities I'm I'm wondering you know we have this sort of these relational human elements of um, feeling safe or unsafe. Um which i which I'd like to talk about how to move forward with but even just the pragmatic side of that with economics and um accessing gear and canoes, are there ways to do that, or is it just become a non option
5: well, I mean I can't answer that for other people I can't answer for anyone else's economic you know standpoint or where they're coming from with their money or their desire. I mean, even right. just like I'm saying, even just the drive itself is money. Mhm. Time. So, do you have that money? Do you have that time? And then you know, and then add on that what you want to do while you're there. Do you want to take a canoe out for a day? Do you want to rent a a powerboat? Do you want to just find some little camping spot and hang out there for a couple of nights? I don't know, it depends on what you want. But regardless, it still comes down to what you can afford and how you can afford it.
4: Mhm. Exactly. So,
5: you know, getting—I mean, for a lot of people, a vacation is family. A lot of a lot of people, vacation is mm-hmm. going someplace you've never been in the hopes that you can relax.
4: Mhm.
5: So, if all this research is being done that says getting out into the wilderness is really great, wonderful. Going back to your point, who are they? Who are they? Uh, who are they surveying, and how mm-hmm. is that survey being doled out? And then could they just do a separate one for Black people and how we're feeling out there? I tell you what, for myself, <laughs> I have a very active imagination, and so not only is it that somebody's just going to come out of the woods and machete me, <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. right?
5: There's <laughs> also I watch way too many police dramas. It's um, also, <laughs> <laughs> also one of those things where. I don't, especially as a woman, I feel even that much more vulnerable. So I feel mm-hmm. vulnerable as a woman. I feel vulnerable as a person in the woods. And then I, on top of that, I feel vulnerable as a person of color.
4: Right.
5: So camping as I get older, unless I'm with a huge group of people, is just not relaxing for me at all. And then oh, forget about wood ticks. Forget about <laughs> forget about all all mm-hmm. and anything else that I could possibly catch out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. I love the wilderness in theory. I
4: love <laughs>
5: looking at it. I love lakes. I love the serenity that I feel when I'm looking at something like that. But it's me looking. It's me not being an actual active participant.
4: Right. I'm much. an observer.
5: Yeah. It's too much for me. It's too. It's too nerve wracking for me to be an actual participant.
4: Right. You know and coming from the perspective that I have of a white male, you know, I, in the same way that, um, you have this intersectionality of that, that gives us, you know, multiple layers of vulnerability. I have these multiple layers of, uh, privilege that allow me to feel, um, completely comfortable, um, when I look around and see the majority of people around me in the wilderness, they look just like me. And I think for, for those of us who, especially are white men, it, you know, we can be very ignorant in that privilege and say, well, why wouldn't anybody love this? And you're articulating so well, well, here's, here's some really valid reasons why this is an incredibly difficult and scary thing to access. Um, and I think that's important for, for um us to consider going back to this idea that these spaces belong to everyone and right. that a lot a lot of people don't one don't know that and even if they, they belong to to folks that that they still may not feel comfortable there uh our station at WTIP, um our development director, Stacy Dreard, her um, she's talked a lot with us about um what the the fact that even in the indigenous folks that are in our community that are a part of this land that we're here before we got here, you know they don't have to access the permitting system to utilize the wilderness um but many of them don't know that, even her grandfather she shared it, died um without knowing that he had free access the wilderness, and that to her was a source of great heartache and I think when you talk about the even the the awareness of um what it takes to access this space, it's just there's just not a lot of easy ways for people to understand and know that
5: right so how do we educate people
4: then? I think this is one of them mickey right right here.
5: How can we educate a greater portion, a greater swath of the state, a greater uh, portion of people who are indigenous, people of color? For instance, I was just thinking about this. When I go around the lakes here in the city, the lakes are filled with people who are fishing. They're, they're filled with people who are enjoying the, you know, the the beach or just walking around the lake. People of all colors, creeds, sizes, shapes, nationalities, you name it. So, why can't we take that and move it to all of the other lakes and outdoor areas of the state so that everyone can enjoy it, however they can access it? So, mm-hmm. how can we educate people that this is an option? If you can get there, this is an option.
4: Mm-hmm. And then, and how can we make, make
5: them feel safe doing it?
4: Right. Right. Uh And, and in my mind... Uh, Checking my immediate uh perceptions and biases when I do see uh people that don't look like me, people of color that are here, what I mean, you know, you, you talk about um uh sort of uh built in biases, like what are you know, for me it's about being aware of what are the first things that come to my mind and how am I reacting to that? And how am I making other people people feel in a space that I dominate?
5: Well, let's okay. let's answer that. How what are these biases? How how are you dispelling these biases in your own mind? And how are you moving past them? I mean, that might help your listeners a little bit to know that they're not alone in feeling this. And what do you do to to say, hey, you know what? The way that I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, the way I'm reacting is all kind of weird and messed up. Let me check myself.
4: Exactly. So, uh, how do you do? That? I'm 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 going to share some immediate things that come to mind. Is that okay, Nikki? Please. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that, um, most often when I see, uh, a group of, uh, young people of color in the wilderness, I think, Oh, there's a camp. And I look for, uh, people that look like me to figure out who the leaders are. And that tells me a lot right there that I don't expect to see, uh, People of color leading other people of color in the wilderness, and and it yeah. makes makes me ask why is that? Now I've had a lot of time to think about that because of other um, friends in my life that uh, I've gotten to talk to. So I am, I think, I'm slowly trying to become better educated as to the things that we're discussing. Um, and I think because of that. Because of those um implicit biases that I experienced in my mind, you know I worked uh at an outfitter for many years up here, and whether good or bad or right or wrong, when I saw people that looked outside of the norm coming in to access wilderness spaces, you know my biggest desire was to celebrate and encourage what they were doing and be pumped and be a resource to those folks and to know that i I saw that difference and to be very careful how I reacted to it um, because I want, I want this place to be diverse and accessible. And and I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if, you know, as, as a person of privilege, I always feel a little anxious sharing my perspectives because I'm always like, oh man, am I going to be wrong about this or is my reaction going to be um, somehow further... Off, off putting, or uh, and so uh, you know I'm, that's that's the best way I've learned to try to proceed. I guess.
5: See, this goes back to maybe a little bit of what Joe and I were talking about earlier, which is kind of the the education and putting yourself in a sympathetic, or putting yourself in the in the place where you're able to be sympathetic or empathetic to what's happening, and understanding that the way that you're thinking may not be the way that it, you should be thinking. Right. And so. It, to me, it's interesting to to have people be honest about what they're thinking or they're feeling or they're reacting and, and dissect it consciously as opposed to just brushing it away, ignoring it, um, or reacting. That, reacting in a way that isn't appropriate or worse yet is so inappropriate that it becomes, that it escalates and becomes something more than it should have ever been.
4: Mm-hmm. So,
5: you know, people are going to have reactions. People are going to have questions and everything, but at least we can start a healthy conversation in terms of what are these reactions, what are these questions, what are these, these feelings that you have, and then mm-hmm. take it from there. Because if we can't even do that, then how are we ever going to change? If we, can't, if we can't talk, if we can't engage in a dialogue, how can we ever change? And this goes back also to what I was saying earlier, too, about being divisive. You know, it's it's so hard for people to admit that they're wrong. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong. In fact, I think it's very noble when somebody can say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. In order to do that, you have to be able to be a fairly self-aware person. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, you have to say, you have to be able to and have the strength to say, actually, that's just wrong. It's an injustice. It's... Um, it's detrimental. It is all of these things. So, you know, I think it's really great that you can say, "I've had these reactions. I, I, I've been feeling these feelings," especially about looking for the white, the uh, the white camp leaders. I think that's, you know, it's a good start to recognize that the way that your 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 patterns need to change, or that they should change. So, I, yeah, I think that's a great great start.
4: So, in that, I want to acknowledge something that I think is easy for me to do, and I already noticed I was inclined to do in our conversation, Nikki, which is, you know, I want, you know, my inclination is to say, like, well, you you tell me what needs to change, and, and I think if I'm really painfully honest with myself, uh, like, I don't need to be told from you what <laughs> needs to change. I can look inside myself and see that. Um, I can look... Yeah, and and, and, and I, you know, you talk about this idea of right and wrong and justice, and, you know, I know that it's right for these public spaces to feel safe for everyone, and I know that that feels right to me, and that if I want that rea- to, to be reality, like, I have to do my work to make that happen. Right. And I think that's harder to that's harder to say out loud because I don't exactly have a silver bullet for what that is going to look like. And that and I don't think that's an there's an easy solution there except for a lot of hard, painful conversations and experiences. And, and I think you're right. That is very noble, but I think that is uncomfortable. And a lot of us don't like to be uncomfortable in those spaces. <laughs> but it's worth no, it. For,
5: well, I mean, you know, there's no reason in the world why whomever, you, the DNR, for instance, couldn't reach out to communities of color and say, this is your space,
4: too. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's,
5: you know, they're there to let us know that they're there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So why can't they reach out to to communities of color? There are lots of organizations, nonprofits in this city and throughout the state specifically for people of color and indigenous communities. So why aren't they being approached? Is it that nobody wants to have the hard conversation person to person? Is it because it's easier to uh, remain in the background and and just kind of throw the information out into the ether and hope somebody picks it up. But what's, you know, I mean, I'm not, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but it's one of those things where I know that I can access these lakes and these streams and, and these areas. I know this. But you know why I know this? Because I grew up with it. Right. Because I have parents, I had a, a father who enjoyed it, and so we would go and do it once in a while. But not everyone has that. So how can we mm-hmm. make it so that everyone at least knows it's an option? If they want it, if they can afford it, sadly, if they can afford it, it's an option.
4: Mhm. Exactly. And I think, you know, recently with um, a very predominant organization like Friends of the Boundary Waters putting out a public statement, um, acknowledging that a place like the Boundary Waters is uh you know structured in a way that does exclude people of color is um a powerful way to start those conversations and to take ownership of that. Um, and for us, you and I, Nikki, and I, on the podcast, to have this public conversation. Um and for for um those of us with the power and with the privilege to Put those conversations out there and to put solutions out there and to um, work on those access issues and to work on those collaborations with other institutions of the people that can make those things happen. I, I think if, we, if, if I truly believe in that, then that is my responsibility to move into that space as uncomfortable as it may be. And I'd like to invite other people who are listening to do that and to engage in those conversations on the most personal and public levels possible. Great to start. Yeah, and I'd like you to just sit back and watch it happen.
5: Well, what I'd like to do when I'm older is be able to go up there without fear. I'd like to be, be able to go up there and feel welcome. I'd like to be able to go up there and enjoy it without any kind of it flags going off in my head. That's mm-hmm. what I'd like to be able to do as a person of color, as a woman, and as a Minnesota native and resident, I would like to be able to do that and access, and access everything that that all white people can access here
4: well mickey i think that is i think that's a really powerful place to leave this conversation to linger because it's not over i just really appreciate you um stepping into this space with me it's been really an honor honor to share it with you
5: my pleasure really thank you listeners for for hearing me out
0: Matthew that was uh, that was a great conversation I, I loved listening to it I'm gonna listen to it again as a matter of fact because there's a lot that I want to process through and and that I took away just on on the initial listen so you know for our, our one of the benefits of our platform on the podcast is that you can go back and listen to things again and it's available for for when it's convenient and and easy to listen to and I think uh, particularly uh, with your conversation there with Mickey that 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 applies that ability to maybe listen to it again or think about it a little bit more. Uh, you know, one thing that that I wanted to touch back on, we mentioned this in the middle of the episode today, Matthew is the luxury of uh, that, that the K-Man and I had about our trip and how basically how easy it was uh, for us to get to the woods. And we went in a ways we worked hard to get to where we were, but the, the, you know, the planning, the logistics of the whole thing was, was not really a thought, you know, as far as can we go. It's it's should we go maybe was more of a, a factor, at least in this stage of, of society and so forth, but never... Or how do we go? Yeah, how do we... But never do we have the means to do it, you know? That never entered our equation, and uh, in, as far as you and I have looked back on our paddles that we've done together, trips to the wilderness, we've never talked about that either. That's never been a... a a turning point or a, a thing that we had to address, you know?
4: Exactly. And one thing that I, you know, we I love about the podcast and the stories that we get to share is that it always leaves me thinking and contemplating. And, you know, often it's about uh, thinking about my memorable experiences or thinking about my powerful experiences. And I think this conversation with, mickey is really no different than that um and i typically after after an episode i'll connect with people around oh what was it like to hear that and and the conversations that unfold from the storytelling and i think this particular conversation with mickey really invites us to continue to have some really important conversations uh around you know like what set me up to get into the wilderness like what sort of things got me going in that space? How easy was it for me to borrow a canoe when I was fifteen and go on my first canoe trip with a friend? Um, because you know I had I had access to borrow all the gear to to try it for the first time, and and you know questions like that are really helpful for me to ponder as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And I appreciated the conversation you had that it was very serious uh, at times and by by just the nature of the discussion was was serious, but that... There were elements of, of humor. I found myself laughing with the two of you, with you and Mickey, while you were mm-hmm. having your conversation. I think that that's that's important too that we not that we we keep that open that we're having a conversation here. You know, we're we're looking for solutions, and in that process, there's going to be a variety of emotions involved. and And I think that that uh, just naturally came up in your conversation. I appreciated that, Matthew.
4: Dang man. Well, if it's something I've learned, it's Uh, it's I got to laugh and usually laugh at myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've learned that. It keeps keeps me humble. (laughs) Yeah, we learned that while we're out fishing because if you can't laugh at yourself when you try to cast and the line is tied around six times at the end of the rod, if you get, you know, because I've seen it. I've done it myself. I've, I've slammed the rod down in anger and disgust and I've watched my friends do it. But if you can't laugh at it sometimes too you're not gonna get anywhere you're not gonna make progress you're probably gonna quit fishing you know mm-hmm so there it is same really
4: goes yeah same really goes for all of this and it's powerful to have conversations that can challenge our perspective and help us to grow and and finding that shared humanity of humor in that process is I think one of the easiest ways to move through it and i I really hope that this Episode sparks a lot of important conversations that are filled with sort of those things that can unite us as well, and uh, you know, especially I, I want to we always put out these little blurbs, but I think this conversation this conversation especially uh, we would love to hear your thoughts and your reactions to um, both of these stories shared today. And remember, listeners, you can always email us. At uh, bwcapodcast at gmail com, and now we have an Instagram page, uh, mm. and that's uh, just wtip underscore Boundary Waters Podcast. Um, been getting a lot of great traffic and feedback on there, and uh, really appreciate everybody who's jumped on there to uh, join that adventure with us too.
0: Yeah, excellent, and as always, too, you know, thanks so much to our sponsors for. Uh, their support of the podcast. We know, you know, a lot of the businesses have been impacted by COVID and and just a number of things. And uh, we're, you know, the paddling community, uh, you know, moving forward into summer 2020 now. And and just a, uh, it's uh, there's just a lot of stuff to think about. And and there was even a lot within today's episode. So hopefully, people, as you're saying, Matthew, are able to to take something away. But also, I think another key element of the conversation with Mickey was. Let's have questions. Let's not be afraid to ask the questions because otherwise, how could there be progress? So uh, that's what the the podcast email is for, or or give us a call at the radio station, and uh, we'll just keep these conversations moving forward. Uh, it's episode thirty of the podcast, Matthew. That in and of itself uh, is, is something to I think we should note and and be be proud of here and, and feel good about mm. and. And uh, you know, to to wind down the episode though, I wanna I wanna get back to the fact that it's okay for you to laugh at yourself, Matthew. But if you ever laugh at me when my line's tied around the end of the rod, dude, I'm diving up in front of the canoe, Matthew. I'm coming after you, man.
3: You hear me? I'm Joe, calm down, you. Joe. <laughs> <God>! <laughs>
1: Out in the night, the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if i got the chance All around, the campfire light All around campfire light, all round, all round, all round, the campfire light.